0: Big announcement today. Start there. Just uh, officially making it with the ESPN contract and the Bull, Bull tank.
1: Right. Thank you. Um, I feel really good about it. I felt really good about it. We've been in discussions for a couple years. And when I say that, it's not like they we spend hours a day on it. But um, we knew it was coming up, and we wanted to address it early, and we started early. Um, we've had and meetings at games where we just happened to be at you know, with the, some of their principals. We've had a lot of things over the airway, I mean, over the uh, emails. We've had calls, and through that time, we were able to come to a really good um, agreement, and I like it. It's what we expected it to be. I think it's what they expected it to be. There wasn't a lot of wranglings, but came out where we feel we are able to progress these next number of years and do the things that we need to with ESPN on our in our, in our side, how does that impact independence? Well, you can't do it without it. Absolutely, there's no way. I, you know, and people say maybe you could have gone with could you could have, could you have gone with another uh, broadcast company? Yeah, sure. I, I, I'm, people are able to do amazing things now in broadcast, but we wanted to do it with ESPN. ESPN was, you know, is, uh, the sports leader. I have believed it years ago. I believe it now, and I think it's going to be. You know, going forward, that's going to be the same way.
2: Was there any push on their part to put some of the games on ESPN Plus, or was that ever a topic? No.
1: um, They obviously have this capacity to have a simulcast, and I think that's important. If you were to go onto the app right now and see the number of games that are on the app, I'm talking basketball because it's basketball season, you'd be amazed. I don't know if you do that, but there's a lot of games in that on that app right now. Basketball they have other sports too but when it comes to football you get to see a lot of games our games will be um, are not primarily on the app. Certainly we're talking about our home games. This is an agreement that is BYU home football games mm-hmm. and then you know, some of our fans get uh, frustrated sometimes and disappointed when we go on the road to play. We use our uh, play under the contracts of the broadcast rights agreements that those schools have
0: if an opportunity to join a conference comes up whether it be a p5 or another conference does espn give you the opportunity to opt
1: out of that current deal yes exactly
0: how, how
2: important was kind of the bowl game tie-in? Because you, you mentioned earlier this summer that that was sort of a hold-up in there. So being able to kind of have that guarantee with ESPN for a couple of years and then the corresponding move at the
1: end of yeah. the bowl, was the, that a big part of the negotiations? The bowl um, game tie-in, how important? It's essential. You have to be on the same broadcast, um, what would you say, format or same company. Um Obviously, the ESPN events, which runs the Bulls, um, they have some games that they own, where they own and operate that game. They have other games that they broadcast only, and that's a, there's a large number of those games. To be able to be with them uh, as a broadcast partner, be able to have that relationship and partnership, and then be able to talk to them about what those games might be is is incredibly important. So... There was no way I would have done it differently, and I think one of the things that kind of caused a little bit of a delay was we wanted those two contracts to be signed simultaneously. We we didn't want to sign one without working out the details of the other, and vice versa. So that's the bowl game. The bowl games were actually quite a bit more uh, complex than the rights agreement. What attracted you to the Independence Bowl? Uh, I, it's interesting that in the course of the last couple years, we had a couple um, new bowl games that were trying to start new bowl games, believe it or not, uh, that called us and wanted us to be like an anchor for them, and we would play, we would be one of the teams in, for, over the next six years. There were some intriguing and interesting thoughts, but I, I didn't think that would be in the best interest of BYU. So along those lines, some... Existing Bulls called us to want to know what our interest might be in playing in their game. And at those times, I always said, we're with ESPN. You can talk to ESPN, and if that seems like it sounds good to them, then we'll talk. And that's kind of how it came down, and we spoke about that, ESPN and BYU. I talked about what maybe some of those games might be. Um, Missy Setters from the Independence Bowl called me one time and said, hey, what do you think about playing a couple games in the series. I said, let's talk. We, we spoke some more. As you can read in the release today, um, we're going to play um, three games down there, possibly, um, the, a max of three games. It could turn into two. Could have a release out of one of those. Um, it's an option that's in the contract if the uh, Cheez-It Bowl in Arizona is available. That would mean that one of the teams from the affiliations or one of the conferences wouldn't be able to fulfill it. So it gives us some flexibility. I think that I feel good about being able to play down there three years, but we're thinking it would probably be two in the Independence Bowl and one in at least one in um, Arizona because another one in Arizona could potentially come from the – an ESPN events bowl. So it's a, I think people get used to it and understand it as we talk about it in the next uh, couple of years to come. When BYU has a football season like last year where there were so many injuries, do you have any second
2: thoughts about the kind of scheduling you're trying to put together with the p Five?
1: No, not really, because there's going to be a year where we don't have injuries and we're going to blast it out. And I'm going to be really glad that we had a schedule like that because we'll finish up really strong. And I, I don't <laughs> do scheduling based on... What could go wrong, I do scheduling based on what could go right. And that's where my vision is right now.
0: How much say do you have or how much are you participating in hiring or firing assistant football coaches?
1: I don't really have, I mean say, I'd say I'm a counselor. I think um, we're talking football right now. Kalani would come to me and say, um, what do you think about what's going on right here? I'm thinking this about a coach and obviously it's happened through the years. And at that point in time, it's not right for me to say, this is what you should do. Or it would be wrong for me to go to him in the first place and start the discussion. But we're close enough, Kalani and I, that we have discussions on a regular basis, formal and informal, meaning some schedule, some not, where we talk about the coaches, the players, the strategy, the trips, the schedule, every aspect of the program. And I feel that we're in a position where we can be honest and open with each other, and we are. So um, that's my responsibility, to be honest when he asks me a square-up question.
2: Why did you uh, extend Kalani's contract when you did, and what was the kind of the thinking behind it?
1: I I think uh, my experience being around him, being around the team, being around all aspects of the program and the organization, he's the right coach for the job. And so... Whether it was the week we did it, or it could have been the week before, or the month before, or the week after, or the month after. I don't think really that was that important. Certainly, it could have been precisely the right day of the year, or the right day of the contract. But I just feel that when it happened, ended up being good for our program.
0: A lot of coaching contracts have a rollover clauses in when you win a certain amount of games, you get an extra year added on. Does Kalanis have a similar clause in it? When do you think you'll know about a 2020 full
1: tie-in? I don't know. We're not, we won't know right away. I mean, because that's one of the years that is open. So we'll be able, because of our, um, I'm not going to listen to this carefully. I'm kind of like a commissioner as an independent guy, a team, in that the commissioners of the various conferences, Group of Five and P5, they're working with the respective bowls throughout the courses that they're affiliated with in the conference throughout the course of the year. They're trying to get it right. They want to make sure the right teams from their conferences are in the best bowls that they're affiliated with. Same is true for me. Since I have... I don't have a menu of what to pick from the ESPN bowl games, but I do have access to the principals to say what would work best for you and for me. So in that, in essence, I play that role of the commissioner in that conversation with ESPN. So I would say, depending on how we start out and how we play, like so. For example, last year um, when we started out um, with a couple big wins and getting moving up the ladder. We had some conversations about, what if we keep playing this way? And so those conversations started in September. So I would imagine, depending on how we start this season, would depend on how those conversations would go.
0: How, what's your analysis of the past football season and the inconsistency, the ability to close out Tennessee <coughs> and USC in overtime, but the inability to beat Toledo, South Florida, and Hawaii when you had a fourth quarter lead?
1: You know, I think you used the, the word that I would use, and that's inconsistent. And that's just something that we have to continually work on. I mean, from the time we got into the locker room after the game, on the plane, flying home, on the tarmac when we landed, to almost uh, daily or weekly, uh, Kalani has been working, using me as a resource, and many others to get better and iron out those inconsistencies. Um, uh, Some people want to put the, a stake in the ground and say, this is one we have to fix right now, I'm not going to say those. I mean, I think if you guys, you guys are all broadcast journalists and you know what looks good and what doesn't, and those are the things that we're working on right now.
2: Have you had any conversations with Boise State in light of the recent squabble they've got with the Mountain West? No. Anything at all?
1: No.
0: As you put together future independent schedules, are you going to need to opt out of a Utah game to make everything fit and work?
1: Um, I don't believe so, but we have that option, and I think I, I could. When this came out, where Mark Harlan at Utah and I made an announcement that they were going to um, opt out of a two-game series with us for in a real good opportunity for them. It it also opened the door for us to do the same if we needed to. Mark and I have an agreement, which I trust him with and he trusts me, that if that were to happen, the scenario that you bring up where we might need to move something, I would just call him up and say, hey, Mark, what do you think about this? And we'd see what the response would be. And I I feel good about calling him. I talked to him this morning on a matter that didn't have to do with football. But had to do with the best interests of Utah and BYU in moving forward, and I feel good about that.
0: What's the word on the Notre Dame game that's still
1: owed? It's um, there's not many words. <laughs> 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 um, I, I really can say that there's been discussions this past year during the football season, um, and I, I'll, I'll Duff will probably kick me in the shin for saying this, but. Um, but just to kind of keep it alive, because it is alive, I think people begin wondering if we have a contract with them. Or
0: <laughs> well, with the Cal, they have a day with the Cal, they just contract. Yeah. And people
1: wonder. Um, but I, I think one of the things that we're looking at right now, realistically, because I think that as we move down the road and things change at time for time to time, we have a home, they owe us a home football game. Um, we've had a, a couple discussions about making that a neutral football game. Where now we would be the home game of that, um, but it would be a neutral game, and it's interesting that you know they're they're intrigued by that, and uh, but we can't really agree on where that <laughs> neutral game would be played, so the saga continues. Do the Raiders in Las Vegas,
0: people have interest in bringing you down. I think a game. lot of
1: those teams. Yeah, we we you know we're playing a game, in. Um, Arizona, I mean not in Arizona, in Vegas against Arizona so that's one of the beautiful things about being an independent is we can go play in those NFL stadiums and have so um, I've met with the people in LA and I've met with the people, I haven't met with the people not the uh, Raiders but the Las Vegas Visitors Convention Bureau and the people that run um, that aspect of the games down there and we don't have a a contract. We don't have agreements, but they want to put teams in their stadiums. And so for us, we can do it. We have great flexibility with that, as well as other um, potential places.
0: <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> did <that mean> international? <laughs> I, I did not. Let's stop. Next question. <laughs> 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 you looked, not, not just on locations, but on dates. You and Notre Dame are both free on conference title weekend. Have you thought about short international trips?
1: Uh, both, no, they're no. They're I, I, I don't want to be uh, coy about this. Our, our conversations with Notre Dame are pretty straightforward. Game, place, year. Yes, no, no, <laughs> in, we, we have a yes in there, so um, we are contracted with them, and we're going to try to work it out, and, and someday, you know, I'll, I might, you know, stand on the table and make the announcement.
0: Looking we're, at where things are at as far as conference alignment and positioning, you know, if, when changes happen, what do you do, how do you kind of take that into account while still moving forward independently and, and try and, you know, find that balance?
1: Um, we take it into consideration with every contract. So that's how it works. We, we realize that we have to schedule games, and we realize that it's p- possible that at some point in time we would have to undo those games.
0: Would you say it's your stated ambition to make, a, make it into a Power Five conference at some point?
1: Yes. Is,
0: what's the, is there a way to close the gap Financially, with
1: those Power Five conferences and independence, is what's the best approach to doing that? Um, It's a good question. Close the gap completely? I would say no. Not as it is right now. Um, I mean, technology is a beautiful thing. Progress is a beautiful thing. I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but in the years of independence so far, we've been able to adapt, and there have been some financial. possibilities that have come to our way that have allowed us to continue to do things. And you know, our athletic department has succeeded in many ways and had some you know, terrific sports successes, and we're able to do that on, with not on a budget like a P5. But realistically looking at how the numbers work, we'd have to have some big-time things happen in the next number of years, in order to keep chasing that gap or closing the gap, but I, I don't. I, there's nothing in independence right now that would force a closure of that gap or that could lead to a closure of that gap.
0: College football attendance has been pretty well documented. It's been slipping across the country. Locally, do you find a difference as you get into the home games in the independence schedule? It's been. You've kind of had to wait for them. Missouri's finally coming in. Michigan State. That kind of stuff is that going to make you kind of maybe improve while the rest of the country is struggling?
1: I think so. Um, We had an increase in attendance the last year, which was pleasant news compared to many other really good programs. Um, I think it's all relative. The important thing is that we're not comparing ourselves to other places as much as we're comparing ourselves to ourselves. Um, And I think we've kind of had some ups and downs over the last number of years, particularly in independence, because it is predicated sometimes about your home schedule. And so um, when you play USC at home, it's a nice and a real nice thing. And we have some games this year where we're going to have flexible opportunities in purchasing tickets to be able to have a great season ticket to get it all, and then we'll do ticket programs that will be packages that we'd like to get as many people into the stadium this year to see as many games as they can. So I'm really optimistic about that. A lot of it has to do with how your team's performing and the teams that are in the coming into play.
0: With a, with a new decade, do you think there could be another wave of conference realignment coming up in the next several years?
1: I, you know, my answer to, in the past would be similar. You can see like little uh, tremors, maybe. Uh, in the last couple weeks, you can hear a few. You've already mentioned that um, the the tsunami. I don't know. Obviously, when you hear the people that will make those decisions, their statements on those are basically, you know, wait till the end of the CFP contract, or wait till the end of a television right agreement contracts with the conferences. And I'm monitoring those constantly.
2: Speaking of attendance, I've seen on social media that some fans have said there have been ticket price increases for football games. Is that true? And if yeah, so, why?
1: yeah, I think um, it, you, you can't say yes, there have. I think it's good to, to really clarify that. We realize that in this day and age and what we've just spoken about, that ticket pricing is super important. And so what we try to do is we look at various spots. So we have... Um, seats in sections in the in the um, stadium that are increasing we've had some that have remained level and sometimes those are not year to year that's the same We try to keep it um, flowing and try to maintain our needed um, revenue streams at the same time keeping an eye on our fans and making sure we don't price them out and so it's a very economic, trick it's not a trick it's it's an important economic decision (laughs) that we have to make every year and we spend days and days on that every year with the new contract are there any more is there any more input on your behalf of start times of games with espn or has anything
2: changed from that
1: no not really Um, i think there's nothing in the contract that talks about that But I think, Dana, it's interesting to go back this last year and see, like, when you play a team of the caliber of USC, that game was not a late-night game. So I think we control a little bit of that, maybe I can say control, where if we're bringing in really big-time teams that have great pull in the broadcast um, game and we're very good, those games are not going to be late at night. But we are very much aware that this ESPN contract is important, and one of the reasons that they like it is because we have a window being in the mountain, the mountain time zone, that is super unique. It's not the Pac-12 time zone. It's not the Big 12 or Big 10 time zone. It's its own time zone itself, and that's a blessing to us to have that. And so they use it, and we understand it, and for that matter, we're going to play some games on the schedule that will be 8 o'clock at night. With three teams and finishing the top 25, six against Power 5, would you call this the most challenging football schedule in school history? We'll see when we plan. Uh, I, I, maybe on paper, I think you guys would want me to say it. I like it. Um, there's days when Kalani likes it and there's days when he doesn't like <laughs> it. <laughs> depends on how practice went. Um, I think that this is what the BY football program needs, and that's what I'm trying to make happen, is that we become, we stay relevant in the world of college football. Our fans have expectations. Our supporters have expectations. And it's not, um, just, it's not just to win games and not... You know, we, I've said this before. I took, I'm going to say this again. I took some heat... With a flippant comment one time, saying I could schedule ten wins. That probably wasn't the smartest thing in the world to say or to remind you of. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to kind of go back and help you understand that that scheduling a, a schedule like this this year has a purpose. It's intentional. It might I might not have made it that hard if I could have, but it would. It's maybe the difference between having Missouri on the schedule or having them not on the schedule meant having them come this year. So I would go to Kalani and go, hey, Kalani, you either get Missouri this year or not. And he's like, let's get them. So that's what I'm saying. Um, and I, I don't go after teams that I know we can beat and load up the schedule because people, that, then the attendance would drop. And even, this might, even if we won 10 or 11 games, I think people might be yawning. Has there been any talk between us and the NCAA as to why some of the sanctions seem to come down harder on BYU than other universities? No. I don't think it's a BYU issue. I really don't. Like, they have it out for us. I think that it's an issue that needs to be discussed on the membership level of the NCAA as to why those are the policies and procedures of the day. That's what it comes down to. So I I don't think they're picking on BYU as much as BYU and other schools feel like the measure, the standard that they're working to is not up to this acceptable for this day. But those are the rules. You all understand that. I've heard
0: from multiple coaches who say that the academics, uh, the admission standards continue to get tougher, the academics are harder. And it's limiting the recruiting pool, and obviously some programs are still winning, but other programs feel like they've lost key athletes to that. Can you address that? And you know, some schools use exceptions. And
1: I think that's a true statement. What you said, it is harder. Um, BYU freshman class of student body is exceptional. It's super good. It's super hard to get into school here. We do have exceptions coming in athletics, um, but those exceptions are not unlimited. So we have to be very careful and strategic in the way we use those exceptions. And one of the things about it is we, the school itself is um, has earned a great reputation in the area of academics because of the student body. And it's. You, we have to make sure as coaches that we bring kids in athletically that can play but also one of the factors is will they fit academically so you can you can't bring somebody in here that you know is going to fail academically that would be a disservice to that young man or young woman and so we don't do that and so there used to be it used to be maybe a little bit easier to keep kids in school here academically meaning that they could kind of cruise it and i don't think you can cruise through BYU, any student can do that. But certainly there's pathways that you can take that are extraordinarily difficult, major-wise. But I think that we're still in a position where it's not unreasonable that we can graduate every student athlete that we decide to bring in. Now, going back to your question, what that says is, how many people have you had to pass on that you just didn't think that could have helped you athletically, but you don't know if they would have made it? I don't know the answer to that question, but that might be what the coaches are referring to.
2: Tom, 10 years ago on September 1st, you announced the plan to go independent and join the WCC. Looking back, are you glad you did it? And would you have done anything different?
1: Um, I'm glad. I think we had the access and the opportunity to have exposure. Those were the two pillars that we Wanted, and we built upon, and we stand by. And I think we've been successful with those two pillars. There are challenges to independence, as we've always stated. But I think looking backwards, I don't know if I'd go back and do it any differently. Maybe I would have scheduled some games differently. There may have been some things I could have fine-tuned, but I still would have done it. Um, I think the key thing is how things go forward. When we did that 10 years ago, Jay, we didn't really have a timetable on, we're going to get into a P5 conference in three years or five years or seven years. It was just we went with faith that this is the way it's going to be. I think the biggest thing for right now, this kind of addresses, and this will be my kind of finishing up with the uh, independent or conference alignment question is, the biggest thing for us is we, we have to be great in our teams. And I think for um, football and basketball are the two that we have been in top 25 teams in the past. And during this independence period, we haven't been as good as we can be. If you look at some of our other sports, we've been exceptional. And, and that's, there's, there's a reason that football football and basketball are a little bit different than our sports. But our focus right now is really on how our football and basketball programs can be great, so that when the time comes, and if there is a, um, you know, a, a changing or whatever you want to call it, that people will see BYU for what it is, and that's a great program.
0: Basketball's taken a hit in terms of NCAA participation since the decision mm-hmm. to go independent football and change leagues. Is there anything that can be done, or is that just the way it is?
1: You know, I don't, I, don't, I think about that sometimes. I don't know why. I mean... We still play a conference. I don't. I can't. I mean, it's. I don't really know the answer to that, David. I think was there a difference between winning in the um, Mountain West Conference and winning in the West Coast Conference? I, I don't know. I think that it really comes down to winning and being able to produce players and teams that are NCAA worthy, get um, selected to participate in the tournament, and, and have good runs. In regards to this season, with your experience on the NCAA Tournament Committee, how much do you think they will look at the games that BYU is at full strength
2: with Yoli in there as opposed to the ones that...
1: They'll look at it for sure because that is part of the procedures and policies of the committee. They do look at games where players miss, and they look at that And I won't be able to say, I could probably tell you at the end of a season what my impression would be as an ex-member, but they will definitely look at it. And not being in the room for two years, how they would look at that would probably be different than when I was on. Tom,
0: you you talked about meeting with Mark Harlan and your your relationship with him. We saw Chris Hill step aside a couple years ago. You've had a pretty lengthy run as AD here. Do you have any thought
1: to how long your future? You know, I I think that the key thing for me is that I live up here on Grandview Hill. I have about a seven-minute drive to work. (laughs) And every day that I drive to work, I'm so happy. This is my bliss. I love coming to work every day. When I drive back up Grandview Hill, some days aren't as good (laughs) as (laughs) (laughs) at the end of the day. But as long as I can come to work every day with a passion in my heart, knowing that I get to work with these student athletes and coaches, and we have something when if I feel that I'm at the top of my game, but I actually have said to uh, I have a few mentors out there that I say, "Hey look, the minute that I start, the minute that I start to slip, you grab me and let me know. And uh, that's, you know, I don't. That's your. You guys are the columnist. <laughs> <laughs> we have um, time for um, a couple more questions. On May
2: first, it will mark your 15 years as the. EV. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, I like the landmarks and all that. Um, what would you say is your biggest accomplishment? And maybe if if you could tell us, maybe one of your bigger disappointments.
1: I mean, I would say my biggest accomplishment. It's it's something that would mean have a great meaning to me. It might not to you. But I think my greatest accomplishment is my relationship with the student athletes and the coaches. Um, I think everything, everything else comes as a, re- as a result of that. Um, not that they're all great, but I think that I have done a very good job um, of just being able to relate to these young men and women and help them to achieve their dreams and their goals. Um, I was a student athlete and I get it. I understand that. And I coached, so I saw what it, what it means for kids' dreams to be swatched, slapped away. And so, what I try to do here is, is create a pathway where these guys have um, a clear road to success. And that, that would be, um, you know, I won't all know how I feel about it. You know, history. Uh, from this table we will write that story. But I don't know. I think my greatest disappointment is, um, and it, the greatest disappointment is going to be along the same lines, is that we've lost some student athletes that have left or quit or they're here but they gave up the ghost. And uh, that should never happen and it's my responsibility to make sure that that doesn't happen. Are you for Fred cha- Warner or Dan, Daniel Sorensen? Both. <laughs>
0: recruiting has changed a lot um, since these went to the Pac-12 and you went independent. We're seeing Pac-12 schools come in here and take athletes, elite guys every year. How have you advised Kalani to change, and how has he on his own figured out how to adapt? <coughs> because it's just apples and oranges to recruiting here 20 or 30 years ago.
1: Well, I think it's a, it's a really good question because – the the P5 schools are, it's a question for them too. They're still recruiting against each other and whether they're coming into the state of Utah or if you're saying they go get anywhere in the country members of our church that maybe that didn't happen in the fast. I think it comes down to technology and, and media and that all the available information on recruiting is so readily available that I remember when I was coaching at Cal and Stanford, I could come into uh, the state of Utah, and and there was you wouldn't see other, you wouldn't see uh, Michigan or Florida or Penn State in here. Now all the work is done. All they got to do is get on a private plane and jump in here, and it's easy. But you used to—they were hidden gems in the state of Utah, and that's not true anymore. So I think it's really the access that all the schools have to the high school football is way better in the state of Utah than it used to be in the past. So there's more kids, so you're going to see more coming up. But that's, you ask me, my counsel is we need to be able to get the great, the best um, members of our church, the very best ones, and be able to get kids from the state of Utah that are not members of our faith, that are in the state of Utah and understand and would be a great fit because they know the traditions of BYU. We gotta do a better job in this state and with our church members. With the women's volleyball team doing as well as they are, do you know of any reasons why their ticket prices are lower than a men's team that average less attendance per game? Well, I think it's, I, I think that the men's program has had a tradition that's longer standing. They had a club team for a long, long time, and the club team was successful. When they went NCAA, I think that they just attracted a bigger crowd. And because of that, we were able, in our ticket pricing, to kind of supply and demand. And we were able to raise the prices because the supply of tickets are good. Now, with the women, I would say that our, don't compare our women to our men. Compare our women to other women at other, school, other women's programs. And, I, like, we're, we're not trying to use our Olympic sports as revenue, great revenue streams. We do as much as we can to supplement those programs just to get good crowds because that's a huge competitive advantage for us is we have the best crowds in the nation for Olympic Games. I think our, correct me if I'm wrong, someone in this room, I think our women were number one in soccer. I think we were in the top ten in women's volleyball. And those are two sports that our teams feed off of that. And part of the tradition and the, and the, uh, the, the coaches will say it's a huge advantage and it, it's worth um, points and goals in those respective sports. And so we try to do that with all of our sports.
0: Why are so many people around the NFL rooting for Andy Reid to finally win the Super Bowl? Um,
1: I think because he's been in the NFL for a long time. And during that period of time, he has an impeccable reputation as being a, a great man. That's why I think it is. Now, on top of that, he's a Hall of Fame coach. So when you put those two together, you got a bunch of people pulling for him. Um, there's many great coaches in the league that might not have a, as great of a character reputation as Andy, and there's some really great people in the league that aren't very good coaches, <laughs> and he's a combination of both.
0: Have you ever considered expanding other, to other sports, other you know, expanding the athletic program? Yeah, we look
1: at it on a regular basis. Um, I think that it's something that is part of our responsibility because um, I've said this before maybe not in the media but I've said it publicly that if I were to start a brand new program right now you might not have the menu of sports that you that we have right now but that's not the case it's extraordinarily difficult to drop a program and so that is not an intention of mine so to add programs costs money and we want to make sure that if we do it, we have the uh, resources, human and financial, and that we're doing it because we're going to be great. I don't want to do it just for the sake of doing it, but it would have to be programs that we would feel 100% certain that we could be great in. Do
0: you um, have plans for new buildings and facilities? And if so, would they involve moving towards the old Provo high campus and kind of migrating the athletic department west?
1: I think that those are all things that are you know, future plans. Um, the, the university and the church you know, haven't quite solidified exactly what's going to go in that regard. But um, like any other athletic director, you're always looking at your facilities. You're looking at your competitive game facilities and your practice facilities. And that's really what we're focused on right now is keeping we – don't, we don't have a lot of space. We're not going to build a new stadium, so we have to upgrade – uh, the Marriott Center is a fine example, and I, I say this often. People come there for the first time and go, wow, this is a beautiful place. When, when did you build it? And we say, 71. And they were, like, shocked. So I think the school has done a really good job of keeping that fresh and alive and, and bringing in um, amenities and the ways that we can do hospitality. And that's really the key. One of the beautiful things about this building right here is that uh, tonight before the game, we'll fill this um, basketball annex with 60 tables full of people. And that's hospitality for the, uh, a walk down the tunnel to get into the game. So that's we're, we're not in a position where we're going to be building new venues as much as we have to upgrade the existing ones.
0: With the Stanford extension. You have the home games, kind of in the back half. Is the reality of scheduling that just with how the Pac-12 is scheduling games and how they have the Notre Dame?
1: Yeah, I think exactly right. The the we we work with the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 has been. A, a, I'm not going to say a partner, but we have a very good relationship with them, where they realize because we're both in the same region that those are pretty attractive games. For Pac-10 non-conference games, and so um, they they actually have worked so well with us um, legally because those contracts involve their broadcast rights and our broadcast rights, and it gets complicated. But now, after year a couple a number of years, well, eight years is it of of doing these non-conference <coughs> games as an independent, the contracts are. They, we, they just go, okay, BYU, Pac-12, they know we know how to do them. Um, we could do it without the Pac-12, but why would you not want to play the Pac-12 teams? They're really great teams. That's where our fans are. Those Pac-12 schools and uh, departments know that when we play there, they're going to have a lot of fans there that are BYU fans. It's good for their revenue. Are you a, working on another USC series? Um, we, we would, sure. I mean, it's with sometimes um, discussions like I'll, I'm going to give you an example but not that we had a uh, we were working on a two for one with a, a really big time school and people haven't asked about that lately because we haven't done them but it, it was just it felt right it was an interesting school we've never played them and we were really pretty close they called me and we worked and we worked, and worked got down to the end and it didn't work out. It was probably about a six-month discussion. And it had to do with their conference's scheduling and how we could f- best fit it. We have a lot of flexibility in those matters. And uh, it didn't work. And at the end of the day, I said, well, let's give it a try some other time. I would not be surprised if it came up again. But it didn't work that time. So I, I just think that... Um, let, let me, what was specifically the question about USC because so you just U, did so USC and I would the, Notre Dame issues, the, yeah. the USC said we go back there and now we, would we do it again in a minute. The question is what's their philosophy? I mean they have a new AD that's in there. They have a whole new department, it seems like of administrators, a senior leadership team. And so the question will be what's their strategy going forward between their administration and their football coach as who they're going to play? That's what it comes down to, is what's our what's our strategy?
2: Will Fun. Matthew Richardson's mission have any impact on your job or the uh, athletic department? Um,
1: yeah, sure. I mean, Matt Richardson is our he's the advancement vice president, and athletics reports up through that vice president. Um, in our at our university, that's the um, the way that the the school is run. You have a president and then a, and a a group of uh, council of vice presidents that run the school. And so with a the change there, it, it will definitely affect us. And we've worked together for a number of years, five years is enough. And, uh, you know, you get to know how how he operates and how he gets to know how we operate. And, you know, and we'll have to work with a new vice president soon.
0: One more last question. How important important is that position to your success, the the
1: advancement? I think it's very important. Um, The university has a mission. And as you know, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is our sponsoring um, institution. And the, the mission of our athletic department, part of it is to be fully aligned with the mission of the university and the church. And so every day and every week, I'm focused on doing the things that would fit with the school and with the church. And so it's like there's things that happen, as you all have responded and written on, that are different from any other school. But I, I took the job, and I'm still in the job. And I, I'm, I'm well aware of all these issues, and we work very diligently day to day to day to day with the university to make it happen for athletics so we have support from the university and this is a key position so we're looking forward to it